0: You are listening to The Christian Commute, a commute-length podcast about Christian apologetics, theology, and other matters of Christian interest. Here is your host, Seth Dunn. It's Tuesday, December 5th. This is The Christian Commute. I am your host, Seth Dunn, and I still haven't uploaded the November 30th show. So I'm sorry for that. That show was the third, I guess fourth, the fourth in our four part, five, sorry, five part series about how the Georgia Baptist Mission Board thinks your church could attract families with one children. I guess I should put, families with young children. I guess I should put my seatbelt on. That's what that dinging was. And I didn't upload that show. I thought it was pretty good. And uh, I will upload it when I upload this one, I guess. And the reason I did not upload the show is because my wife decided to go on a girl's trip with my twins to New York City to see the big New York City Christmas tree they have over there. And go to shows and see the Statue of Liberty. And so that's what she was doing. She left me alone with four children. As a single dad struggling in this world, not really alone because my parents got home from Arizona. But I had that going on. I went to the SEC championship game, as you know. And then uh, Sunday I took a nap. (laughs) And then Monday I had basketball practice. So hopefully I'll upload the show tonight. Upload it tonight, both the show you're listening to now and the show I didn't get to. I have a full show for you today, but before I get there, let me share with you what Brother William's pick was. So Friday, I worked from home because I was alone with the kids, and I didn't want to come to work and have them with no parent at home. My, my my parents were there, and they picked them up from the bus, so I could have come to work, but I felt more comfortable being at home in case I needed to grab him off the bus or help. So I worked from home Friday. Thus there was no show. Thus there was no Alabama pick. And Brother William said UGA 30, Bama 24. He picked Bama to lose even though there is but one team one that has beat Georgia in the last three college football seasons. It's Alabama. They've beat them I think 3 times now or 2 times in the last 3 seasons they've played 3. So I you know I got to say go dogs cuz I'm a UGA alumna, alumnus, but roll tide. Brother William was wrong. A pretty reasonable score if you're looking at what the pundits said. You know, one score difference, but Alabama won. That was the most fun I've had all year one of the, the best football games I've ever been to in my entire life. It came down to the wire, and I got to go with my son. It's so much cooler when you're a dad and you get to do things with your son. I felt kind of bad for leaving my brother out because I'm kind of like his son because he's 11 years older than me. He's a bit of a third parent. But I was so happy to get to go with my son, and that was an awesome experience. And now Alabama's going to go into the playoffs. And let me just dot, dot, dot. You guys can fast forward five minutes if you want to. Because I want to show off my apologetics skills. You guys, you know I have a master's of divinity and Christian apologetics, but I can be an apologist about anything. It's not a spiritual gift. There are spiritual gifts. Like teaching is a spiritual gift, and speaking in tongues is a spiritual gift. And you guys know I know how to fake that one. Hooba honky Tonky Tekken 3 to a tongue of viola. I can fake it, but I. I'm just good at being an apologist. I'm just a good arguer. So for all you devastated Florida State fans out there, and I know I have Florida listeners. I know I have listeners in Florida. Let me just explain to you, Florida State getting left out, how you guys should not feel like it's unfair. Let's go back in time. Let's go back 70 years. 70 years ago, national champions were declared before bowl season. So before any teams ever finished a bowl, a bowl game, when the regular season was over, the Associated Press or whatever polls were out there, there were lots of different polls that awarded national championships, the so-called experts who ranked people. Some of these teams that didn't play one another. And they'd say, we declare... This team is the national champion. They're number one. And based on those declarations, teams would claim a national champion. Just claim it. We're national champions. There weren't really a trophy or anything that that the NCAA gave them. they just claim it. So, for example, now you might have the Associated Press. They still do their poll, claim a national champion. And the coaches coach's poll would claim a different one. And usually the AP poll and the coach's poll are kind of similar. But there could be differences. And they had different polls back then. And they didn't even have computers. So what I'm trying to tell you is 70 years ago, with an undefeated Michigan, forget that, that Alabama had one loss and beat Georgia to win the SEC. Forget that Washington was undefeated. With an undefeated Michigan... Florida State would not have been declared the national championship the national champion by any of those polls given their strength of schedule and how they looked they wouldn't have been so they would not have been considered the number 1 team in the era before national championships were awarded before the bowl game it used to be the bowl game was just for fun just for pride they, they'd play seniors not to you know, they wouldn't play to win they'd play their seniors it was it was a, so, a showcase. It was pageantry. And even back then, you got to expect maybe Michigan and Alabama go to the Rose Bowl like they're doing this year. It's in the song. Fight on, fight on, fight on, men. Remember the Rose Bowl. will win then. So you would have probably found Florida State not number one 70 years ago. Now let's move up to the era where the, the people who did the polls said, Hey, wait a minute. We got these bowl games going on. This is, you know, say 30 years ago. How it was when I was a kid, when Alabama won the national title in 92. Let's wait till they play the bowls. And after the bowl games, especially if the number one team plays the number two team, then, then we'll declare a national champion. Well, I got bad news for you, Florida State. You would not have been... In the game of the number one versus the number two, if it was played that way, the Rose Bowl probably would have been Washington and Michigan. Plus, Florida State would have had to play Alabama or play Georgia. Okay, So they would have been left out in the cold as not number one or number two then. Now let's go to the BCS era where a computer gave a score. Florida State. Would not have been one or two. They would have been four. I looked it up today. They would have been four. They would have been left out again. So in no era in the history of college football would this undefeated Florida State team, as as good as they've been, because you can't deny somebody who's undefeated, as good as they've been, they would not have been considered the national champion. We're in the committee era. And the committee did not consider them one of the four best teams. And if Florida State's being honest, they're not even number five, Georgia would be there. And if we're being real honest, real honest, and you're taking the top four in no particular order, Texas, Alabama, Georgia, Michigan. But listen, that's how it works. When you agree to do something by a committee and the committee comes up with something you don't like, It just is what it is. There's no deserving. There's no argument. It is what it is. Last year, I thought Alabama should have been number four over TCU. We saw how it went for TCU. So there's an apologetic to all the jilted Florida State fans. Let me tell you something. It ain't going to make it any easier for them. The kids on that team, their coach, they're not going to be any less devastated. And the people are not, most people are going to sit here and listen and not agree with me because people tend to think emotionally, not logically. Now let's give that a theological application. When you're doing Christian apologetics, you better be aware of not only the noetic effect of sin, that is the the thing that sin's doing to people, original sin, people being dead in their sins. Not only that, but think about their emotionalism. How would a why would a good God allow evil in the world? L- listen, that's that's not considered a tenable philosophical argument anymore. Even atheist philosophers admit that. I got a paper on this that I've done on my website. All right, but that's still where they go. So you got to be prepared to deal with emotion. Now, I need to plead with people to get saved and come into the kingdom of God. I don't need to plead to any Florida State fans to agree with me that they should be left out. You talk about election, it's up to God. It's up, see how You see how it works with merit? Election, let's make another theological point, doesn't have anything to do with merit. God elects you unconditionally or not. He predestines you to heaven or hell unconditionally. Now you see how it is when people think it's about merit? Oh, we deserve it. Not you. We deserve it. Not you. Blah, blah, blah. Well, God is not as fallible as the selection committee. Hey, you see, see, you could transition anything into an argument about how people need to get saved. But like I said, I don't have to convince the Florida State people that I'm right and they're wrong and they're just being emotional. Lord willing, Georgia will just crush Florida State in the In the Sugar Bowl, and end-all argument. I hope Georgia doesn't have a letdown. Teams that go undefeated and lose in the SEC championship can have a letdown in their bowl game. It's happened to Alabama twice. Once in the Fiesta Bowl against Utah. And once in the, was it the Peach Bowl? Against Oklahoma. They just like, eh, phoned it in. And uh, from inside sources, inside sources that I have here in the North Georgia area, tell me. That Ladd McConkey ain't going to play in that bowl game, so that's no good for Georgia. That's what I hear from my inside sources. Now, uh, that's probably the most interesting thing I've talked about in weeks, but none of you guys listen to The Christian Commute to hear sports talk. You hear it to hear Christian talk. So let's talk about a full show. Today's show topic is Georgia Baptist Mission Board Preparing for children with young families. I have a question in the inbox, and it is the last question in the inbox about theonomy or how to deal with somebody who is beginning to adhere to theonomy. And as always, we have the Bible chapter review. We continue in Matthew chapter 26, verses 55 and 56. Jesus has been betrayed and seized, and he is now responding to the people who have seized him. At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, now what crowd? The crowd who came with weapons in the middle of the night to arrest him. At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, have you come out with swords and spears and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures and the prophets. Then the disciples left him and fled. So Jesus is calling out these people. And we've seen it as we've studied the book of Matthew. Jesus was sitting in the temple, given, I don't want to say given his opinion, because Jesus is God, given his fact, given his teaching. And just outright condemning the the Pharisees and the, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Whoever came to question Jesus... For nefarious motives, not because they wanted to learn, but because they wanted to trip Jesus up. Jesus answered him and then tripped them up and then condemned them. And he did it in front of everybody. And they didn't seize him, and they didn't because they were afraid of how people would react. He says, "You're coming at me at night like I was a robber." And, and, and Jesus is saying is like, "I'm not some violent criminal on the run to be seized in hiding like a robber who steals and go hides in the night." And he's not going to go willingly and turn himself in to the police. No, you got to go catch him, and he's going to fight you. So you better bring weapons. Jesus told Peter, "Put your put your sword away. He who lives by the, you live by the sword; you die by the sword." This has to happen. So he tells the guy the same thing you guys come at me like a robber instead of doing it in broad daylight when you had the chance in front of everybody. He's shaming them. He's like, nevertheless, this has got to happen so the scriptures can be fulfilled. And what happens at that point? His disciples flee. They get out of dodge because they don't want to get arrested and beat up too. They're gone. The jig, as it were, is up. Or is it? And with that, we will end the Bible chapter review and let's go to the question. This is from Jeff in Slow Driving, Florida. I want to say Jeff's from Gainesville so he's probably a Gator fan. He probably hates Florida State so he's probably not upset about this latest thing. I think that's where he's from in that area. Maybe it's Tallahassee. He's not from Tallahassee. Tallahassee is where Florida State is. I don't think he's from there. Anyway, they probably all drive slow. Whether they're dressed in their jean shorts and gold chains in Gainesville or I don't know how do they dress in Tallahassee? Do they wear wife beaters, jean shorts, and gold chains in Tallahassee like the Florida people do? I don't know if I've ever been to Tallahassee. Anyway, that's where the question comes from, Jeff from Slow Driving Florida. And I just want to say that's not me saying that. That's how Jeff introduces himself when he calls. That is 470-315-0875, the Christian Commute Roadside Assistance Line. He calls it in on the phone. You can also write SethDunn88 at gmail.com. SethDunn88 at gmail.com, the Christian Commute Your Theological Roadside Assistance. Send me your questions about Christian apologetics and, and theology. Leave it short enough for me to memorize and tell me where you're from so I can judge where you're from in case you drive slow and wear jean shorts and wife beaters and gold chains. Does everybody know what a wife beater is? It's a shirt. It's like a it's a tank top undershirt. Some people might not know. And it got that name because that's what Marlon Brando wore in a streetcar named Desire, the movie. He dressed like that. Marlon Brando's character, Stanley. And he beat his wife. So that's why they call him wife beaters. Stanley Kowalski. Is it Kowalski? Stella! Stella! Alright. I hope you, you guys, you know, I hope yours are cultured. You know, watching the old movies by, you know, it's a play by Tennessee Williams. Get cultured if you don't understand my references. I hope I never get so cultured as to go to New York City, though. I don't want to go there. All right. Oh, the Seventh-day Adventists have their Christmas lights out. Okay. You're not fooling me, Seventh-day Adventists. I just passed by Seventh-day Adventist headquarters. Jeff says he has a friend who is starting to buy into theonomy. What are some good ways to respond to his friend to sway persuade him not to be a theonomist. Alright, I'm just gonna answer right away. A great resource, it's probably still on YouTube, is the great theonomy debate between Joel McDermott and J.D. Hall. Yes, J.D. Hall had to retire from the pastorate in shame, but he still mopped the floor. With Joel McDermott, who was at the time a leading spokesperson of Theonomy. They did that debate in Phoenix, the great Theonomy debate. And just to summarize JD's argument Theonomy demands that we put to death sheep shankers. What's a sheep shanker? Somebody who engages in buggery, somebody who they're out in the fields for a very long time. There's no women so they see a female sheep and they gratify themselves sexually that way. The Bible says in the Old Testament to put such people to death. It also says to execute homosexuals for the same. Not for shanking sheep but for having relations men with men. For sodomizing one another. I don't want to say to have gay sex because sex is when a man puts his private part In a lady's private part, where it fits, the male part goes into female part. That is sex, sexual intercourse. It is not sexual intercourse to put your your male part in a butthole. And that is what sodomites do. And the punishment for that in the Bible is death. And if theonomy were the case then we would have to put sodomites to death. We would be morally obligated to do so, and that would be justice. And here was J.D. Hall's argument. Where's church discipline in that? Because doesn't the Bible say that if somebody sins, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness? How are you supposed to restore a repentant sinner or a penitent sinner to fellowship If you execute him. So Jordan made a very good argument that you can't engage in New Testament church discipline if you're executing people for sodomy or adultery or buggery. Now why do I bring up buggery? Because that's in that debate, that's the crime that Joel McDermott brought up. So I would tell your friend if he's thinking about being a theonomist to watch the great theonomy debate. That's the title of it. J.D. actually wrote a book, I don't know if you can get it anymore, called Embers of a Dying Fire, where he eviscerates theonomy. I've never read it, but I watched his debate. And I remember him studying theonomy and reading all these theonomy books by Rush Dooney and company. And I remember thinking, why are you doing this? Because I went through seminary. 91 credit hours or however long it was and graduated with a Master's Divinity and I'd never heard of theonomy before. It was like such an obscure theological view that I'd never even heard of it in seminary. But it got popular a few years ago and it got popular with internet type people People who like to get on the internet and debate, like make a YouTube channel and debate atheists. I, I call these people village apologists because you, you know, have the village idiot. I call them village apologists. In fact, another good resource for you, Jeff, is an article I wrote at Pit and Pen called The Village Apologists Economy of Theology. Oh, sorry, Economy of Theonomy. The Village Apologist, Economy of the- Theonomy. So there's a couple of resources for you. But let's go back and let's just kind of speak practically. The people who, who get into this, they don't really have any sense. And uh, they, they're they not very good at at context. <clears throat> Now, you guys who listen to this show, you know I only see black and white. I am an autistic fundamentalist. There is no gray area for me. So, But the people who get into this are sort of in a case by themselves. They really have an inability to take things in context. They see black and white, but it's, which is good, but they can't really distinguish the black from the white is, I think, a good way to put it. And I think they're really easily swayed by arguments without a lot of detail that could be specious. If any, I, It's not as popular anymore. There used to be a popular webcast and uh, a podcast called The Bible Thumping Wingnut. In fact, I used to be on The Bible Thumping Wingnut Network till Tim's website got messed up. I'm not sure if Tim still does it. I haven't talked to him in a long time. But uh, Tim and a guy named Lynn Pettis, and I forget the other, na- the other guy. I want to say his name was Colin, started the Bible Thumping Wingnut podcast, and they debate atheists online. Tim had theological training. He was a disqualified pastor. Uh, and, but Lynn was just some guy. Like some regular guy. And I don't know about, I think, I want to say the guy's name was Colin. But I, it's hard to remember. And they eventually had to kick Colin off the show because he got into the, um, theonomy. And it was through this internet debating with people. And what you'll find is that theonomy people, they see the world going to hell in a handbasket, say with Oberfell and Hodges. They see transgenderism. That's why Christian nationalism is really popular right now. And I think to them, they say, well, the answer is theonomy. We need to live under the Old Testament laws, and everything would be fixed if we do that. And they also are almost universally post-millennial. So it's a big deal for them to take dominion. They think the eschaton is to take dominion. But when it comes down to it, it's it's a it's a fringe group of people that are not going to do anything. It's easy to be a theonomist on the internet. At your house on a message board. But they're not going to they they they're not viable politically, they're not viable militarily. They're, they're really not viable enough to even split a church with their heresy. Most of it, they're going to get kicked out and go somewhere. So if you find a theonomist, it's, it's almost always going to be somebody at a post-millennial church, sort of a Doug, Willie, a Doug Wilson outfit, one of these fringe groups. And they're really hard to find outside of Moscow. And I, I think people who are in a lot intellectually and theologically immature are theonymous. It's sort of like a cool internet group thing. It's like finding something that you're really interested in, but nobody else is interested in until you find this group on the internet. Like, I I love Beanie Babies, but nobody wants to talk Beanie Babies with me. But I found this group of people, and all we talk about is Beanie Babies, and we go to Beanie Baby conventions or Funko Pops or whatever. I'm not. I am. Not, I did, I'm not saying I like Beanie Babies. I've nothing against Beanie Babies. I had a girlfriend that used to collect them when I was uh, in college. Anyway, they have birthdays. That's how they get you. That's how I view these theonomy people. They're just talking like, oh, I got it right, and all of you got it wrong. But they're not going to do anything. They're not going to create theonomous churches. They're not going to create a theonomous country. They're just going to be wrong, and they're going to be divisive. And they'll eventually change their minds. Because people who are easily duped, and I think people who believe in theonomy are easily duped. People who are easily duped into things can be easily duped out of things. So, for lack of a better term, Jeff, use this resor- search and dupe your friend. Say, here, this is a resource, please consider this and let him listen. Hopefully he'll come to his senses, because it's one of the things that sounds good. Well, hold on. Theo, God, nomos law, God's law. Why should God's law? God's immutable. His law. Jesus said the, he didn't come to remove the law. The law can't change. Therefore, we must go by these laws. Mm, not really. Because you're doing it wrong. So, hopefully they'll be duped out of it. I had a guy that I'm friends with on Facebook, and he's a friend of a friend. I've met him a couple times in real life. He's an okay guy. And he was posting the other day on Facebook, like, yeah, these people, they're all upset about college football because it's their God, and it's effeminate for men to like football. And I'm just like, you, you're just, there's this thing now on the internet where Christian nationalist, ultra-complementarians, like, it's, it's feminist if you disagree with me. And theonomists strike me like that oh it's feminist I'm just different that's, that's how they strike me I know you didn't ask for a psychological evaluation of theonomists but I just feel like I, f- I feel like they're really silly immature men like hyper masculine immature men it's, it's good to be masculine be- being masculine is sort of like being cool if you're cool, you don't ever have to tell anybody, but but I'm cool. You don't have to go into the lunchroom and nobody will let you sit at their table. Well, hold on a minute. I'm cool. I, I'm supposed to have a seat at your table. I'm cool. No, you just have your seat at the cool table, and it's understood. You don't have to say, look at my clothes. They're cool. You don't have to say, look at how I made those foul shots with one second left to win the game because I'm cool. You're just cool. If you have to say you're cool, you're not cool. And it's the thing. With, if you have to say you're masculine... If you have to say, look at my flannel shirt and beard, and and my craft beer, if you have to say, look at that, you're not really masculine, you're trying to be masculine. I'm masculine. No, once you say it, you're not. But I'm masculine. Theonomy, you guys all have it wrong, and me and R.G. Rush have it figured out. No, you don't. And you're going to end up with a bunch of weirdos. You know, people, sometimes people say, like, if you homeschool your kid, they're going to be awkward and weird. And the other side is, like, well, it's the public schools. It's got a bunch of trannies. And I, I saw on the Internet today a male volleyball player. I think he concussed a female volleyball player by hitting her with a ball so hard. That's public school for you. But be careful lest you end up in some weird theonomy homeschool group and Doug Wilson is arranging a marriage for for your daughter to some potentially abusive man. Those are the resources for Theonomy, Jeff. I mean, I just... I really think it's too fringe and stupid to even dedicate a show to it, but JD used to do a lot of podcasts about it. And that's why I said, like, why are you covering this? It's just like... .001% .001% of people. All right, let's move on to a much more prevalent pro- uh, problem. People who think the Georgia Baptist Convention, or sorry, the Georgia Baptist Mission Board is good, and that they should give it money and listen to it. And these people may be running the children's ministry at your church. So we've gone over the Georgia Baptist Mission Board strategy to focus on a demographic and get families to young children at your church. Because you want to you want. You want the right people, not the wrong people. You want the right people at church. They're fo- focused on this demo, and they've told you to partner with sports teams and schools. They've told you to pray for the empty seats so the families with young children will come sit in them. They've told you to plan events like family picture day at church. To basically, they've said this is how you generate leads. And get the leads to come. This is how you get the customers. Now they're going to talk about how to keep the customers. And that's prepare. Alright. If you put in an ad in the Sunday paper that says we are giving you $1,500 off MSRP at our car lot next week. And you can spin a wheel and win a chance for $500 off. And we got free popcorn for the kids. Come on down to our President's Day the car lot. And when they get to your car lot, if your showroom is dingy and you don't have a nice car in your showroom, and if your sales guys are unshaven, and if you got the mechanics walking around all greasy instead of having them in the back working, people are going to be like, uh if the secretary up front is slovenly and she's got think she's slovenly, she's got a fat roll hanging over her skirt and she's smoking. Do you think they're gonna buy a car from you even if you have the best car and even if it's on sale, no, they're not. So if you want people to come to your store once you've generated these leads, if you want to convert the leads into sales and retain them as customers and clients, you've got to make a good first impression. And that's the last thing the Georgia Baptists are giving advice about to get parents with young children is you got to prepare for those people to come and make a good first impression which means spruce up your kids area maybe if you haven't painted it in a while paint it use bright colors use murals to make the space look bigger because if you have a dark painted uh, hallway it seems small notice they didn't say anything about the quality of the, the children's curriculum or the competency of the teachers it was spruce it up you don't have to spend a lot of money you can spend a little money have a clean up day repaint and for a low investment just some spruce it up here and there you can make a great first impression that makes people want to stay I think when new people walk in you should play Dave Matthews She makes you, Make you, makes you want to stay let's go all the way To make them feel welcome. Make you want to (sighs) stay. Now listen. Anything worth having. Is worth having nice. I went to. And I'm passing it right now. I went to. uh, I always forget the name of the church. It's the Independent Baptist Church in Carswell. It drives me crazy. That I can never remember the name of this church. Drives me absolutely nuts. But it's a church here in town. And I've done this on the show before. I've tried to mention this. Oakland Heights. I went to Oakland Heights Baptist Church uh, yesterday for basketball practice. Because they are sharing their gym with the city. Because the city only has a couple gyms and we have a zillion teams. So they're very nice to share their gym with us. And I, I pull, I'd never been in their building before. And I pulled up and I walked into what they called the ministry center. And immediately I thought, wow, this is a nice church. They had a little lobby area there. They had a hardwood tile floor when you walked in. And there's some elevators and stairs. There's educational space upstairs. And then the gym had a hardwood floor. A lot of church gyms have a knot. It's not a hardwood floor. It's sort of like multi-purpose flooring. If you guys know what I'm like, hard carpet. Carpet with tape on it. <laughs> but they had a very nice gym. Surface, uh, and they had. It was, you could tell it was like a fellowship hall too, because they had the industrial kitchen there. And the first thing I thought was, this is a this is a nice church. It's a nice educational area. This is a nice multi-purpose room they have. Clearly, the, this church is well-funded, and people care about keeping it up. In my days of playing and coaching youth basketball, I've walked into church gyms and like. It's kind of dingy. This looks pretty bad. <laughs> this smells bad. I mean, I don't want to be here. But it's, it's good. If you're going to have a building and invest the money, you should have it nice. And I remember we studied this in seminary in my church evangelism class. And church evangelism is about evangelizing people and getting them to come to church. It's a, I mean, church evangelism is about church growth schemes. And one of the things the teacher said, because I never thought of it before, because I'd always just gone to my church. And when you go get professional training in church... To, for ministry and you've never done anything but go to your church you don't think like somebody who's moved into town is going from a church the first time and they said listen if, if people go to a church and the kids area is dirty they won't come back and uh, the pastor the past he has a pastor but the, the professor told a story about visiting a church once and they had a dirty potty chair in the in the children's area and they're like oh this place is nasty we're not going to come back here hadn't even walked into the service yet but they weren't ever coming back because the way you the way your kids area looks, if it looks nice, it shows you care about kids. If it's dingy, it looks like well these are people we don't care about. We just have them off to the side so they don't cry during the service. So if you think I'm gonna get on here and trash people who have a nice kids area, wrong. It should be a nice area. Not only should it be nice, it should be secure. This is one of the things mentioned in the Georgia Baptist ad or advice page that I think is good is you you want to have two adults for every classroom and you want to have good security. We want to keep our kids safe. So I I have to say uh, if you have any area of your church not just the kids area but the sanctuary too. It's supposed to to be like God's house, right? I know it's not really the temple and God tabernacles with us. Our bodies are your temple, but you're going to have a church building, let's keep it nice. It doesn't have to be ornate. It doesn't have to be burnt hickory Baptist church with a three-story slide and an indoor basketball court. Like I said, that's on purpose to get young ki- kids with young families. That's how they're doing it. People are dying going to hell. They're spending $50,000 on a three-story slide basketball court. And as you, you said, prepare your leaders. Prepare them to be hospitable. I hope the people that you would have in greeting roles at church would be hospitable. Listen, when I worked at the wealth management firm, we called our secretary the director of first impressions. Because, like I talked about. If you go into the car dealership and it's some woman with a Colt 45 and a, a, a beer belly hanging over a skirt smoking a cigarette with black roots and, and frizzled blonde hair. And I'm not buying a car here. So you want to have friendly greeters. You want to have people that you'd want to leave your kids with. But can I I bring something up? What the Georgia Baptist Mission Board and evangelicalism as a whole is catering to is a bunch of people who want to come to church and dump their kids off. That's not good. Now, Let me just tell you my personal perspective here. This is what I do. Because I think it's important. I take my kids to Sunday school at First Baptist. For the 9 a.m. Sunday school. Because I think it's important that they have Sunday school. And they're going to learn. Noah's Ark and Moses and Abraham. Okay. And they're going to sing about Zacchaeus in a tree. That's. I think it's great. I don't take I don't dump my kids off in Sunday school. I take them there so they get a biblical education and when that's over, I want them to be with me to go to the church service, not some puppet show kid service like some churches do. And it's great I think it's great to drop kids off at, at the nursery. Because nursery kids, in my experience, nursery kids just distract their mother from hearing the sermon. So it's great that people rotate in and out of the nursery. And I've never met a nursery worker on Sunday morning who didn't want to be there. They love it. Like, Seth, we want to volunteer you to do a job. I'll rock the babies. Please. I'll rock. Somebody else can change the diapers. I don't want to do that. But I'll rock the babies. Those nursery women love to rock those sleeping babies. I like rocking babies too. That's the best. But what we should try to show people who are coming to visit our churches is this is our educational area for children. It is safe. We don't care if you think it's fun. They're going to learn the Bible here and people are going to care about them. It's here because it's necessary, because discipleship is part of the Great Commission. Not because we're trying to attract people who want somewhere to dump their children. If it's up to me, they have me or someone like me sitting in front of the kids' area, welcome to XYZ Baptist Church. This is our kids' area. If you're looking for someone to dump your kids so you can go hear a felt need sermon and be entertained, cross points that way, Uh, get out. If you want somewhere where your kids are going to be discipled through a good Sunday school lesson and you come back and take them to the service area, you can take them back here behind the door. I really think the Georgia Baptist Convention is is catering to those churches who just want to have people for the sake of people. And they want to get people through their kids. I don't care how old you are. If somebody wants to get to your parents, they will try to get to your parents through you. If somebody wanted to kidnap me and ransom me, my wife would say, Well, I know we got six kids, but we got life insurance. I don't know. You might be able to keep But my mom and dad would pay for me to get ransomed. (laughs) Somewhere out there, somebody is trying to get to you, usually your money and your time, through your kids. And a lot of those places are churches. And I think that's sad. They should really just be trying to get to your kids and you and everybody who needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's very telling that the Georgia Baptist Convention does it through this marketing cycle or this customer cycle of finding channels. Like you don't want to advertise browning shotguns at the... the Gay TV Awards, the Bravo. Do they have Gay TV Awards? I don't know. How about this? You don't want to advertise tier brand swimwear and 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 boat and Nautica boating clothes at the BET Awards. Because generally speaking, black people don't do water. I don't know why, they just don't. I guess because city people aren't used to swimming. And they live in the city, by and large. Right. there are black rednecks and white liberals, as as Thomas Soul uh, would tell us. But I'll tell you this: look at the Olympic swim team, okay, and then look at the Olympic track team. All right, both of those are about being fast. Okay, how come one is all black people and the other has like the swim team has one black guy? Maybe because black people don't swim. So you're not going to advertise swimwear on BET. That's that's a channel. I don't mean like a TV channel. I mean a marketing channel. You're not uh, you're not going to advertise swimwear in Essence magazine. Okay, that's a that's a marketing channel. Garden and Gun. That magazine. I know magazines are bad examples because nobody does it, but Garden and Gun. Hey, Browning shotguns. Okay, because you want you're selling something that people something that people want. All right. If you're selling Tang and Grape Sunkissed, BET is the marketing channel for you, all right? But not for swimwear, okay? But here's what churches are doing. They're looking at channels. We want to establish a channel. Where can we find our target demo? Schools? And sports teams and HOAs, that's where we find parents with young kids. That's our channel. So we want to get into those channels. Once we get into those channels, we want to generate leads from those channels. By having events that people from those channels are interested in. And then once those leads come to our store, in parentheses, church, we want to convert those leads to sales. Guys, I have a database right now. Lead, 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 lead. Customer, 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 customer. And I can go click around if I spend enough time. It's not my job. It's somebody in marketing's job. And I can see our, our lead generation and then conversion of those leads. Guys. There's nothing biblical about it. It's people treating church like a business and marketing. I'm listen, I'm glad that businesses have marketing because they help those businesses be successful. That's how you get your product out there. Advertising is good. It works. That's why people do it. And people put a lot of thought into it. But do you ever stop to ask yourself why is your church and your mission board utilizing the exact same marketing techniques and philosophies that the world uses to sell action figures and breakfast cereal and swimwear and grape sun-kissed and tang. Are you trying to save souls or sell purple drink? Which one do you want to do? there's a difference by the way between preaching K. Russo proclamation of good news and telling people they can buy something and trying to persuade them to get your product listen the good news sells itself if you just proclaim the gospel the Holy Spirit will regenerate those people and bring them into salvation that's how it works When Sprite buys a commercial on BET with Grant Hill, they know they're going in a channel for a segment with somebody that segment likes, and they think, this is how we're going to sell Sprite. And we have to convince them to buy the Sprite. Now I want a Sprite. And I don't have any at my house. Man, a Sprite would be good. Sprite. If you had not had a Sprite in a while, it's a very thirst-quenching drink. It tastes good. It's got the lemon-lime flavor. Wish I had a Sprite. I do not like grape soda. Anyway. Let me then bring it all back home, all right? Georgia Baptist Mission Board is a mission board. It's supposed to be out there saving, saving lost souls. That's what mission boards do. Mission boards have missionaries. But instead, do you see how it is now a marketing consulting firm? That the mission board is a consulting firm. Which makes its living off its clients. Providing them consulting growth services. Instead of just sending missionaries out into the field in Georgia, even though we're the Bible built, knocking on doors, walking through the park, sharing the gospel with people, and when they respond, say, here's one of our affiliate churches, XYZ Baptist Church, go there. I'll go with you. And all those well-meaning volunteers at church, uh, they didn't have Peggy Emil Haines's Peggy marketing one-on-one course at Georgia like I did. All right. They don't know they're just doing lead generation. They don't know they're basically selling timeshares. Stop relying on, dealing with, giving money to, and participating with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. Thanks for listening to The Christian Commute. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again. Thursday, as always, God bless. And as always, remember, Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about being saved. Thanks for listening to The Christian Commute. Please send your questions about Christian apologetics and theology to SethDunn88 at gmail.com If you are not a Christian, please remember that you can be reconciled to God through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins now and accept Jesus as Lord. God bless.